A warm welcome to you if this is your first time in Gospel Baptist Church. Great to have you. If your second time in Gospel Baptist Church, it's great to have you. Your tenth time in Gospel Baptist Church, it's great to have you. It's your one thousandth time in Gospel Baptist Church, tough luck, your brother. Just joking. Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. And tonight, today I want to talk about the mind of Christ. No matter who you are. No matter how well you normally get on with others, you will find that some of your relationships get stressed at times. You could, for example, have a good relationship with your solicitor, but if things get prolonged because the solicitor is not prioritizing you, but, in, but prioritizing others in, instead of you, you might find your conventionally good relationship is getting rather strained. The same could be said of your doctor, or your tradesman, or your close friend. Things are good in our relationships until unfulfilled expectations arise. Perhaps all of us have faced this in the last few weeks or months, I certainly have. It, it, is, it can be a little tense at first, but then it might become explosive. Sometimes you have to say things that you don't want to say, you don't know how they're going to respond. You have to take risks to get people to do what they're supposed to do, especially if you're paying them to do it. And I have received an abrupt letter from a professional recently, but in one sense I don't really blame him because I gave him a confrontational letter first. But you know the good thing is that the job is starting to get done. Relationships do though break down, and one thing you never want is for a relationship to break down. You try to avoid that. It could be with professionals you hire for your services. It could happen in your workplace, or with those in your neighborhood. Even your next door neighbor, that's a tough one. Or worst of all, those in your family. How do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with conflict? You deal with it in the way that the Lord Jesus Christ would have dealt with it. You put on the mind of Christ. Again, we're in Philippians chapter 2. We're working through the book of Philippians. And we're now in chapter 2. And in verse 1 says this. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every one on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to look at the rest of the text as we go along. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word this morning. Your word is good. It's like honey to the mouth. It is nourishing. It's satisfying. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Proceed out of the mouth of God. Thank you for your word. I pray you minister your word to us this morning. Thank you that your word is so practical. It helps us to work through stuff. Lord, I pray you minister your grace. Maybe we've just come out of conflict with someone. Maybe we're in the middle of conflict with someone. Or maybe we are going to have conflict with someone in the near future. Help us to learn to use your word to work through everything we face. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. First thing I want to share with you. Number one, the mind of Christ brings unity. Look at verse one again. If there be 
Therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any bowels, sorry, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. The mind of Christ brings unity. The Apostle Paul asked some rhetorical questions. He asked this question, does our Lord draw near when we need Him? Is there consolation in Christ? Is there? Well, I think we know the answer. Does he bring solace to the hurting heart, to the needy soul? Is that who he is? I think so. Sadly for us, we as a human race only seem to turn to Christ when our lives begin to fall apart. That's our perspective, but Christ has another perspective. Our Lord is relational and He loves us. I and mean, when we knock on people's doors, we tell people, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us you, and they, they go blink, blink. Doesn't even cross their minds. But we're not there to, 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 to argue with them. And we may not always be able to convince them. But I want them to realize there's a God in heaven that loves them and wants to have a relationship with them. They need to hear that. And they have a right to hear that because they're hearing so many lies everywhere else. Wouldn't you agree with that? Our God is relational. He loves us. He knows we're stubborn though. And he also knows challenges and difficulties turn our eyes upward towards him. Jesus said unto his earthly brothers, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The Lord always wanted that relationship with his earthly brothers, born of Mary, but they weren't ready for it, but his time was ready. He said to the crowds that followed him, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why did he want to give rest? Because Jesus cares. The hymn asks, does Jesus care? And the, hymn, the, the chorus says, oh yes, he cares. Jesus really does care. Is there consolation in Christ? Absolutely. Paul asks another question. Is there comfort of love? Are we consoled when we feel the love of, other, of others? Are we comforted to know that those around us have our back? Does genuine camaraderie, esprit de corps, we're in it together, knowing that we're generally, we genuinely support each other, does that bring comfort? I think it does. Does it comfort us to know that even if we mess up and fail, that there's someone out there ready to throw their arm around us and tell us it'll be okay, tomorrow's going to be a better day? Does genuine, unconditional love bring peace and comfort to your soul? think it does. So Paul's asking these rhetorical questions. The answer is in the question. Of course it's true. Is there, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ? In other words, in the question form, is there consolation in Christ? If any comfort of love? Of course there's comfort of love. What about fellowship of the Spirit? Is there fellowship of the Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit of God indwell us and fill us? If you're born again, He does. If you're not born again, you need to get born again. If you've repented of your sin, and you put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for your sins, you have the Holy Spirit. There are some people who believe you need to pray for the Holy Spirit. Well, I think if you, if you, you don't need to pray for the Spirit, you already have them. That's like me praying for kids. Lord, please give me four children. You already have four children. Lord, please give me a house where I can live in. You already have eyes. You don't pray for what you already have. 
Now, you don't need to pray for the Holy Spirit if we have the Holy Spirit. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've repented of your sin, you've asked God to forgive you, you don't need any more of the Holy Spirit than you already have. You have Him. The problem is, does He have you? That's a better question. I think the blockage, I think the problem is not with the Lord. We don't need to beg God for something He's already given us. We just need to get rid of those blockages that stop His Spirit working through our lives. Would you agree with that? Is there a fellowship of the Holy Spirit? We can enjoy the sweetest company with the Holy Spirit if we don't grieve Him or if we don't quench Him. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God when there's things that He's telling us not to do and we say, I'm not listening. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit of God when there's things He's telling us to do and we don't want to do them because we're indolent. We just want to relax. We don't want to stress ourselves out. We're too busy. We don't have time for what God wants us to do. We quench the Holy Spirit. So as long as we don't grieve Him, and as long as we don't quench Him, we can enjoy a sweet company. Is there fellowship of the Holy Ghost? Absolutely. As the, as the hymn goes, are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? If you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, you can walk by the, by the Savior's side daily and enjoy His fellowship. Is there fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Categorically, yes. Last question Paul asks, in a rhetorical sense. If any bowels of mercies, is there bowels, is there mercy, is there mercy for me? I love reading about stories of revivals when the Spirit of God worked mightily in times past. We need that again. We don't need to pretend stuff. Lots of fake stuff where people say, I'm partying and we're having revival. Uh, how has it changed your life? Not really, I just have a great time. No, that's not revival. Because the revivals we read about in history, the real revivals, are, are, are repentance revivals where people put away their sin. The revivals that we read about in history are, and, and, and even biblical revivals, but the re revivals we read about, about the details about in, in history, it lasts. Like the Sandy Creek Revival that lasted in the southern part of the United States for over a hundred years. I'd love one of those revivals, wouldn't you? <laughs> Great work. There is mercy, but you, know, you read about these, these uh, revivals and people are in their seat and the preaching's going on. The Spirit of God is working in an electrifying work and people are under great conviction of the Holy Spirit because the Bible says that the Spirit of God, when He comes, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So the Spirit of God is convincing people and they're sitting in their seats during these times of revival and you hear people crying out, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? And the answer is yes. Yes, there is. Praise God for His mercy. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God He had on you? Is there bowels of mercies? Is there sympathy or pity for the Christian? Absolutely. Those who've been on the receiving end of such mercy should be very glad to show that mercy to other people. Isn't that true? If you have received mercy, freely you have received, freely what? Yeah. Is there bowels of mercy? The Apostle is making the point that since every Christian, every genuine believer has become the recipient of consolation in Christ, praise God. 
We love to hear about the things that we are in Christ. I'm redeemed. I'm free. I'm justified. I'm sanctified. I'm glorified. I have a home in heaven. We love to talk about these things. Why not? Is there consolation in Christ? Is there comfort of love? Is there fellowship of the Holy Spirit? If there be these things, if there be great mercy, bowels and mercies, then God has some response he wants from us. We have clear responsibilities before God. Look at verse 2. Fulfill you my joy, Paul said. Fulfill you my joy. That you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We are responsible to bring joy to others. We will either help others have a good day, or we'll help them have a bad day. Fulfill you my joy, Paul said. Paul wrote to the Philippians, fulfill ye my joy. I think that everyone needs encouragement from time to time. And we can furnish others with cheerfulness and gladness so that they are filled with joy. Bring joy. To bring joy to somebody else, you've got to have a bit of joy yourself. Would you agree with that? You've got to have a bit of joy going on. Fulfill ye my joy, Paul said. To do so, we must absolutely must have the same mind as Christ. That he be like-minded. And that like-minded really comes stems from the mind of Christ, doesn't it? We have to, so for us to be like-minded, it means putting away interpersonal conflict. Euodius and Syntyche were having a hard time getting along for some reason. Look at chapter 4. Keep your marker there in Philippians 1. We're going to quickly look at Philippians chapter 4. They were having a hard time getting on. The Apostle Paul named people. Not very often in the Bible does Paul name people and say, hey, I want you to deal with this issue. But he names them, not to shame them, but to get their attention. He says, I beseech Euodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Come on, ladies, just get along. Is basically what he's saying. Now perhaps, why weren't they getting along? We don't know anything about them. Perhaps they were, it was idiosyncrasies that was going on, that they somehow had this weird way they couldn't just get along, I don't know. Perhaps they were just so different they had nothing in common. Perhaps they didn't read each other very well and they just clashed. Perhaps there was mistrust between them. Perhaps they let each other down when they needed each other. And one thing is clear, neither was able to communicate through conflict. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just don't know how to communicate through conflict? I have, probably you have too. So Paul just appealed to them, to them and said, you need to just have peace. The answer to personality clashes is the mind of Christ to be like-minded. If Christ is our vision, if fellowship with him is our goal, if serving him is our mutual passion, we will be able to set aside differences with each other. Even if we do sort of clash a little bit in how we get on. I have watched with great joy a Euodius and a Syntyche. At the beginning it wasn't so joyful, but the end I was really happy. Because God brought both Euodius and Syntyche through deep trials. Why does God bring us through deep trials to get our attention? He's very good at getting our attention. And he got their attention, and you know what? They got right with God, they got right with each other, so to speak, and now they have a great relationship with each other 
because of God's grace. But I want to tell you something, having a great relationship with somebody, it takes both. It takes two people, it takes both. But what if Euodius didn't want to get on with Syndicate, or Euodius did, but Syndicate didn't want to get on with Euodius? What happens? Each one is responsible to have the same love as Christ. Look at verse 2. It says here, Fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love. The same love as who? The same love as Christ. We have to have the love of Christ. John 13, 35. By this shall all men that know that ye are my disciples, if ye have what? Love one toward another. If Christ does not have a personal personality conflict with us, then we should be able to get over personality conflicts with others. Would you agree with that? At least from our side. I know it's hard. Some people can be very difficult. Remember years ago, there was this brother I knew, and he tended to be a little bit sarcastic. And I found his tone regularly offensive. And I found him difficult to get along with. But I know God brought him into my life on purpose to teach me some things. You know, he's now not that way anymore. He's with the Lord. He's perfect now, and someday I'll be perfect. But right now, I know that God sent him into my life for a time to teach me to love people better, to love the brethren. If Christ can love us unconditionally, then we can learn to love others in that same way because it's his love, it's not ours. Does that make sense? It's his love. Bringing joy to others, having the same mind of Christ and loving Christ brings unity, doesn't it? It brings unity. There is nothing like the mind of Christ to break down barriers and fractured relationships but people are stubborn. In fact, I think we're all stubborn. I think we're all stubborn. I really do. And admittedly, building relationships that have been broken down takes time. We're all happy, and we all like the, end, the, the happy ending story of the book of Ruth. But Ruth had to endure bitter Naomi to get to the end, didn't she? So it takes time. We had a family situation whereby a bitter family member was making life difficult for the rest of the family, it was hard to be Christ-like. I know it. It was hard. It was hard to get it right. And one seasoned believer came to me and he said, be firm, but be kind. It's hard. <laughs> it was hard. I want to tell you it was hard. Be gracious and don't give in to bitterness. And it wasn't easy. But in the end, God resolved the situation, but brethren, it took years. You may not be always able to have a good relationship with certain individuals, but brethren, you can be a unifying factor. And that's what I want to talk to you about. It's not your job to fix him. It's your job to fix you. And you can be a unifying factor. The mind of Christ brings unity. Because the Bible says, Fulfilling my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being one accord of one mind. The mind of Christ brings unity. But secondly, the mind of Christ brings humility. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife 
or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Humility, the mind of Christ brings humility. What humility does is it brings an end to strife. The Bible says, a soft answer turneth away. That's a humble response, isn't it? I know we don't always do it, do we? But we, at least we know it's in the Bible, Proverbs 15 verse 1, right? Let me ask the question, what do we gain by arguing and fighting? What's gained? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even from your lusts that war in your members? James asks us. What do we gain from giving other people the cold shoulder and ignoring them? I had one brother say to me, you know, this, 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 these people who used to be in the church, he said, that, I just don't like them. And what, what, what do you think I should do when I, when I see them? Do you think I should cross to the other side of the road? I said, absolutely not. You go up to them and you shake their hand and say, how are you doing? That's hard! I'm just telling you! Doesn't matter. You're not responsible for those that couple over there. You're responsible for you. The Bible says... 1 Peter 1.22. I mean, I'm just giving you all the verses God used in my life, okay? This was the toughest verse that God gave me. Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love, which means sincere love of the brethren. See, and this is a verse I sort of half the time would rather was not in the Bible, but it's there, so we have to do what it says. See that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. That's hard. Fervent love towards people who are difficult is hard. But they're Christians. It doesn't matter. Fervently. You can't love people fervently and treat them unkindly, can you? It takes work. It takes work. It's a work. I tell you, this is a work of God. Humility puts an end to strife. But humility also puts other people first. Look at verse 3 again. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, that each esteem you others better than themselves. Again, a very difficult verse. I didn't pick this passage this morning, brethren. It was next. I was in, we did Philippians 1 last week. We're in Philippians 2 today. This is a tough one to put other people first. It is tough. It's hard at the best of times. It's easy to think of people better than ourselves if they actually are better. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the Bible says to think people, others better than ourselves. That person may not be as smart as you, or as popular as you, or as polite as you, or as talented as you, or as social as you, or as careful as you, or as diligent as you. Perhaps they don't even care about those things. It takes much humility to decide in your mind that I'm choosing, this is a choice, I'm choosing that person to be better than me. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He treated us like we're better than him. Because he traded his life for ours. He gave up his life on the cross and said, you know what? I want you to do well. I want you to be forgiven. I want you to have success. I want you to have blessing. I want you to have fruit in your life. I'll die. I'll take all the suffering. I'll do it all for you. Now you can have He's so much better than us, isn't he? 
And so he's the example. And he wants us to treat other people that way. That takes a choice, because you know, you know we're not better than Jesus in any way. But he chooses us before him. Remember years ago, there was a man in the church I used to go to a long time ago. He was very slow. He was socially awkward. And he would come up to me and engage me in conversation. Did that ever happen to you? And then this person would just uh, go on and it would be a very long conversation. Okay? And he 20 years on me. And he would want to teach me and instruct me. And it was humbling for me to say, I have got to choose to put him first before me. That was challenging. Because he wanted just to have one up over him. It was hard. But you know, things like that are really important for God to teach us to think differently about ourselves and think differently about other people. It is not hard. Humility puts others first. And humility also considers others' needs. Look at verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the, on the things of others. There are people around us who have needs that they just can't afford. And I'm thinking of someone right now who has needs, real needs, genuine needs, health needs, that they can't afford. And you know, I think of Christmas offering. We're going to take up for Sudan, for Khartoum. And that offering is for people who've lost everything during their conflict. Meeting the needs of others because we're giving to that need. We're putting them first. You know, I can think of other ways to spend my money. You can think of other ways to spend your money. But putting others first is what God wants us to do, isn't it? That's why we're taking up a Christmas offering. And I also think of this individual. This has serious medical needs. There's no way this person can afford to pay. But humility wants to put that person first and say, you know what, I know this person has serious needs and I, I have my own needs, but this person cannot meet her needs, but I can meet that person's needs if I'm willing. And I, I, I'm just challenging you. Maybe there's somebody sitting in, in the congregation today and saying, you know what, if there's somebody who has a real serious need, I want to help. I want to talk about the Christmas offering for cartoon. We can take care of that. But maybe you're thinking it's just someone with a serious financial issue and they have a medical need and I can help, I want to help. Talk to me. I think we should reach out and help people who need. I think we need to do that. Is that the humble way, putting other people first? Considering other people's needs. Isn't that what it says in verse four? Love not every man on his own things, but every man also the things of others. What are their needs? What do they need? How can I help? Humility also emulates the way of Christ. Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I'm just thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. And it says here, he was in the form of God. Thought of not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. I remember years ago, back in 2016, we were back in the States raising a bit more support. The, the exchange rate had got really bad because we got paid in dollars and, and, and we just couldn't afford to pay our taxes. I mean, there's no way I could afford it. And it was, the bill was several thousand or whatever, thousand, whatever it was. And uh, I couldn't afford it. 
And so I was just telling our churches, the reason why I'm back here is we're trying to raise a bit more support. We're one of our supporting churches. This man who's dressed very casually came up to me and says, what's your need? I told him. Thought nothing more of it until a gift of $5,000 in our mission account. Wow. Yeah, wow. Never would have thought it. Never would have thought it. But he saw a need and he wanted to make it meet us. And he made himself, if you like, with no reputation. He didn't come to me in this big, no, fancy suit or this fancy whatever. He just came as a very plain, ordinary person. And I think about Christ. Christ didn't come in royal robes. Christ didn't come in all his splendor, in all his glory. He didn't come with a, a great big halo around his head like the Re Reformation pictures, the Renaissance pictures, what, what to make him look like. He, he didn't come like that. He became a nobody, the Bible says. He, being in the form of God, verse 6, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus is God, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he became a servant. And the Bible says he took upon himself the, the, upon him the form of a servant. He looked just a lowly man, and he was anything but lowly. Though he is immortal, he became obedient to death. Being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Brethren, I am not saying that the key to humility is to dress casually to church, in church. I'm saying the key is for the rich to dress like everyone else and to use their resources for God and not to think of themselves as anything. Not even to think of themselves at all. I think one of the problems we have is we think about ourselves too much. We talk about ourselves too much. Human, it's a human, it's a human condition. We're all, we all do it at times. But that's not humility. Jesus became a servant. And we need to become servants of Christ, like that man in, in that church who met my need. People are amazing. They can do amazing things when they give themselves a we need people being ready to spend and be spent for him. Because that's humility. That's humility. The mind of Christ brings unity. The mind of Christ brings humility. And finally, the mind of Christ brings sublimity. Look what it says here in verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. That's our Savior. Highly exalted. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of things in heaven. And things in earth. And things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the God the Father. And if you can't say amen now. You will say amen someday. Those words will come out of your mouth. You won't be able to help yourself. When you see glory in front of you, your first response when you see Jesus is going to be tears when you realize what he's done for you. Your second response is going to be fall on your face before him and say, thank you, Lord. In sublimity, the Father has exalted his Son sublimely. Sublimity means sublimely, right? He has he exalted his Son, verse 9. 
It says here, wherefore God had highly exalted him. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again from death. That's the gospel. Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again for our sins, according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. If Christ hadn't died, we would all die in our sins. If Christ hadn't been buried, how would we know our sins were ever buried and paid for? If Christ hadn't risen again from the dead, how would we know it was true, the gospel was true? We need the death, we need the burial, we need the resurrection, and it's true, Jesus did die, he did he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. As the hymn writer said, death could not hold its prey, Jesus my Saviour, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord, up from the grave he rose, with a mighty victory over his foes, or whatever way he says. He rose the victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with a saints array. He arose! Hallelujah! Christ arose. If you're not getting excited about this, your excitement is broken and you need to get it, bring it to the shop and get it fixed. <laughs> Christ is not just risen, brethren, he is highly exalted. He is the center of time. BC and AD. I laugh. And the Lord holds them in derision, those that change it to BCE and CE, before Common Era and, and CE Common Era. You know what? It, the dates remain the same. Yeah. You may change the name, but you can't change the fact that Jesus did enter into this world. And he did, he did split history. And he did die on a cross. And he did rise again from the dead. He is risen. Christ is still central. You can take, take away and not call it Christmas and call it Xmas, but it's still the day we remember that Jesus was born into this world. It may not have been December 25th. I don't really care. I just care he was born into this world. Christ is central. Christ is central. He is the focal point of heaven. He is the unifying factor of the universe. He's been given a name that is above all names. It might be blasphemed right now, but I want to tell you something. There's going to come a day where it's going to be glorified through all eternity. Yes. And everyone's going to bless that name and honor that name and glorify that name. And as we as Christians, we should be letting the world know. Yes. I had a meeting in here and there's a fella who is a prolific cursor. I wish it was a cursor on a keyboard, but it wasn't. On the screen, he was cursing us and cursing. But thank God, when I reminded him a few times, this is God's house. He said, sorry. This is going to come a day when he won't be blaspheming the Lord anymore. I hope it's because he got saved. Okay? He said, are you trying to convert me? I said, absolutely. <laughs> Am I going to lie to you? <laughs> of course I'm trying to convert you. Well, you'll have a good work. I don't care. i got time. Pray for him. I like this guy. He likes me. We get on. But he needs to get saved. He needs Jesus Christ. He needs those words of his lips to glorify the one who created him. They will someday. But he needs to make sure he's at the, not at the judgment seat, but instead he's at the, the seat of a reward because he's made the right decision in this life. It is good and it is beautiful. It is sublime that the Father has exalted his Son. Yeah. Jesus deserves that, doesn't he? Yes, he does. In sublimity, the Father has exalted his Son. In sublimity, every knee shall bow before God. Look at verse 10. It says here, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Feet and legs that have run away from God will someday stop and stoop at the foot of the cross or else at the judgment seat. I'd rather they stooped at the foot of the cross because if they wait for the judgment seat it's too late. But every knee shall bow. My knee is bowed, has yours. I look forward to that day. I'm okay giving my face before God because I know who is Lord. The climax of all creation is to take all, that is, sorry, is that all will take their place at the foot of the cross or before the judgment seat of Christ, oh, the throne of God. No man shall stand in arrogance or self-sufficiency. Every knee shall bow. In sublimity the Father has exalted the Son. In sublimity every knee should bow, shall bow. And finally in sublimity every tongue shall confess his lordship. Look at verse 11. That, at, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The tongue that blasphemes and mocks now will one day praise and exalt. Why? Because he's worthy. Thou art worthy, thou art worthy, thou art worthy, O Lord, for thou hast created, and all things created, thou art worthy, O Lord. He's created everything that's in the heaven above, that's in the earth beneath, that's in the waters under the earth, and his name is glorious, he's worthy. He's also worthy, as the song says, weep not, for one is found worthy, Jesus Christ the Lord, the light of Judah, the Savior, the great I am, weep not. Behold the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy to receive, to receive glory and honor. Worthy to receive worship and praise. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. That's why every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, because he's worthy. Almost every tongue in the Western world right now breaks the third commandment regularly. But those same mouths will one day be compelled to lift up their voices and proclaim his worthy. I mean, the full agreement that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, and man's final recognition of it will bring God glory. Verse 11, that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Over 20 years ago, I was driving home from work when I was living in the States, and beside me pulled up a nice truck with ornate lettering on it, and on the bed of the truck, this pickup truck, and in lovely printed letters it said, Jesus Christ is Lord. It looked great, and it is great, because it's true. But unfortunately, not everyone recognizes it. That being the case, we find ourselves in conflict with others. Sometimes over petty issues, other times over serious issues. Though we do not have the power to fix others, we do have the power to fix ourselves. How? We need the mind of Christ. We need to be like Jesus, don't we? Today we saw that the mind of Christ brings unity you have the mind of Christ? Are you filled with the love of Christ? Are you a unifying factor in your situation?
Secondly, we saw the mind of Christ brings humility. Do you humble yourselves before others, putting them first? Do you consider their needs above your own? And finally, we saw the mind of Christ brings sublimity. Do you recognize the Lordship of Christ? Do you recognize how much God values humility? And that he exalts those who choose a path of humility. Just think for a second. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? Because he humbled himself. Don't you think God will honor us if we humble ourselves before others? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.